Finding out if anybody's paying attention. Tom Bellis is paying attention. Glad we've got we've got one, so we'll take it. Justin's paying attention as well. We'll keep talking while we get our sound issues resolved-ish. March Madness, anybody rooting for anybody particular? Basketball, right? That's what March Madness is all about. We're coming up on March. Nobody's still listening. Tom, who are you, who are you rooting for from March Madness? Kentucky. Go with, uh, are they the top seed? Still? Yeah, I'll say Kentucky then myself. Okay, I think we're good. So I'm just going to get started and we will proceed on the fly. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Brookside. Was up last week, had a ton of fun talking just about the value of keeping our attention on, on the hearts of our kids as we parent them. So I'll do just a, a couple minutes of review real quick, but, but just by way of quick introduction, in case you weren't here last week and we've not had a chance to get introduced, uh, I'm one of you. Uh, I've got four elementary age boys who are nine, seven, almost eight years old, and then twin six years old. Twin six year, six, six year olds, let's get the plurals and the S's in the right spot. Uh, but so, so every, every week, I come to D6 with my wife, and we benefit, and we learn, and we interact. So, so excited to be able to be up front doing some of that same learning and interacting with you guys as we just continue to wade into this very important anchor in each of our lives of how do we lead our kids spiritually? What are some things we can put into place in our lives as parents that can keep us pointed in that direction? So, I, so again, I know I benefit from that each week. Uh, by way of announcement... Pull out these take-home cards that should be in the center of each of your tables. We just want to keep that in front of all of you each week as we do the Deuteronomy 6 sort of thing where, where we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, impress these things on our hearts. And then as we seek to keep these things in front of our kids as we walk along the road, as we sit down, stand up, everywhere, these take-home sheets are really valuable as part of that. So... Uh, so that's that. And then uh, I should have run this by Jeff. Next week is the last week of D6. I'm looking at Erin because she probably knows as, as much as anybody. So, so don't forget one more week to, to, to finish strong and then we'll be done for the semester. So, so be sure to come back next week and keep it on your calendars that way. So let's do a little bit of review of last week because this week is going to build a little bit on what we talked about last week. So, so last week, we, we looked at this idea that one of the most fundamental, one of the most important things we can be doing as parents as we try to lead our kids spiritually is, is we need to keep our eyes on their heart. And so we talked about this baseball illustration, which is a stretch for me because I'm not a baseball player at all. But one of the most fundamental, important things that you do in baseball is you keep your eyes on the ball. Professional baseball players who have been playing ball for 30 years of their lives, even though they're pros now, that's still something that they all do every time they get up to bat or every time they're out in the field. They're keeping their eyes on the ball because everything about baseball hinges on that very fundamental and that very important thing to do. And so in the same way, we as parents, we need to be keeping our eyes on the hearts of our kids. And so we, we looked at that, that, that the hearts of our kids aren't, aren't just the, the physical organ that's pumping blood inside of our bodies, 
but really the, the heart is the, is the center of our will. It's the, it's the control panel of our lives, if I can get my advancer to work. So, so here's Ted Margie Tripp in, in a really helpful book they've written. They, they say the heart is like a spring. This is true for us as adults. This is true for our kids. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, and all of our desires gush from the heart. Every drive for meaning and significance originates in the heart. Our behavior flows from the heart. It isn't caused by circumstances or other people, not ultimately. Instead, the heart with its passions and desires is the wellspring of life. So, so as we talk about keeping our attention on the hearts of our kids, keeping our, our eyes on the heart, that's what we have in mind here. On, on this wellspring of our kids' lives, these things that really form and shape their values, their passions, their goals, their emotions, that sort of thing. And so, so if that's the case, then, then the big idea that we looked at last week is, is that parenting our kids' hearts is both tremendously important because of everything that the heart is, but also tremendously hard. And we saw that it can be done. And so, so the phrases that we unpacked last week are just that the, the, the heart is central that God wants our heart, except our hearts don't naturally want God, is, is the problem that needs to be addressed and needs resolution. Thankfully, that's where Jesus Christ steps in with resolution, with, with this fourth idea that a heart transplant is needed. But the bottom line in all of it is that we need to keep our eyes on the ball. We need to keep our eyes on the hearts of our kids. As we lead them spiritually, that is one of those fundamental, important lessons we never graduate from as parents. But it's not the only thing we need to factor in either. Because if, if we're only focusing in on the hearts of our kids, there's other hearts in our family that also need attention. If we only focus in on the hearts of our kids, there's other hearts in our family that are getting neglected or ignored. And so, so that's where tonight I would just want to bring us face to face with this truth that's super important, that, that we need to be focusing on our own hearts as well. As parents, we don't just focus and keep our eyes on the ball of our kids' hearts. We never want to forget to keep our eyes on our hearts as well, to be monitoring our hearts, to be, to be gauging where our hearts are at, where they're directed, where they're pointed, and then walking forward in appropriate ways. And so, uh, so let me pray for us. And, and so, so that's the direction I want to go tonight, is just all tonight on, on our hearts as parents. I want to pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to turn the ship that direction and, and go, go forward that way. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we do thank you for the, the privilege of, of parenting and shepherding kids. But Father, we, we always want to be praying that we would be, be focusing on our kids' hearts out of full hearts ourselves, out of hearts that, that love you, uh, that, that, that want the things you want, Father. And so, so God, our request is that you would do work in our hearts even this evening, directing us towards you, changing our desires, that way they line up with yours, Father, and really uh, motivating us to do the, the hard work of heart work as we parent our kids in a way that really will lead them spiritually 
and point them towards your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his great and gracious name that we pray. Amen. All right, well, I recently ran across this stat that was published towards the end of last year, uh, August, sometime I think it was, by the USDA, so Department of Agriculture, and they said that for kids born in the year 2013, anybody have a kid born in the year 2013? So a couple of us here, but a lot of us are probably close to that with the ages of our kids. For, for, for us to raise that kid from zero to the age of 18, guess how much it costs? A lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. $245,000 over the course of those 18 years. And so adjusted for inflation, people say that that's going to be about $300,000 once you factor everything in. So, so, so that's a lot of money. A lot is right, whoever said that. Most of us don't have a quarter of a million dollars laying around that we can just kind of put aside in some nice little handy-dandy raising our kids' bank account fund. And so, so for most of us, that $245,000 in change is going to have to come from somewhere for us to say, okay, this is how much coin it costs to raise our kids well and effectively provide for them in the ways they need to be provided for. And so for most of us as parents, what that means is we sacrifice of ourselves to make that happen. So some of us get extra jobs to make ends meet. Some of us are, are that family where like around holidays, oh, don't get me anything. I don't need a present. Let's just get stuff for the kids. And then any extra money you would spend on me, we can funnel into college savings or paying down debt or grocery money or towards the things that we kind of need to be doing as we raise our kids. So, so, so for a lot of us, there's this idea of financial sacrifice that goes into raising our kids. We, we put aside our desires so that way, in, in the right ways, we can be providing for the financial needs of our kids. We can be giving them the stuff that they need so that way they're well-adjusted kids, teenagers, young adults. Finances aren't the only thing we sacrifice, though. Time is another big one. A lot of us don't have a lot of margin in our schedules, and any margin we have tends to get funneled into things that go towards our kids. And so, so all the time, I talk with dads who exhaust themselves, spending 40, 50, 60 hours of their week at work, and then on the drive home, they reset the dial and say, okay, my mindset isn't go home, retreat to the man cave, turn on the TV, and check out for the night. No, I'm exhausted, but I need to continue to pump myself into my wife and my kids. So that means dishes and laundry and homework and wrestling and bedtime routine and another round of the bedtime routine and another round of the bedtime routine. I mean, that sort of thing. Until you put your kids to bed, they're running around and you're sleeping in their bed because you're so tired. So, so, so I talk with dads all the time who are doing this sort of thing. I talk with moms, whether they're working within the home as stay-at-home moms, or whether they're working outside of the homes, moms who are spending themselves for the good of their family, who when five o'clock rolls around, they're exhausted because they've made meals and done laundry and paid bills and gone and gotten groceries and worked hard at whatever job they may be doing and all the sorts of stuff that moms do. I'm looking at my wife here to help me out a little bit. But, but those sorts of things... But, but, but moms 
are exhausted as well. But, but I know moms who are exhausted, but who still say, okay, five o'clock, six o'clock isn't the end of the day. We're still going to invest energy, even though we're tired, into the well-being of our husbands, our families, and our kids. So, so as, as parents, we're used to sacrifice. <laughs> I was talking with somebody who said, man, if you, want, um, uh, if you want to learn how selfish you are, get married. If you want to learn how selfish you still are after that, have kids. There, there's truth to that, because every day, as, as spouses and as parents, we're reminded that, that I'm saying no to myself in certain ways, so I can say yes to my kids in lots of right ways, by the way. It's good for us, just so we're clear on this, to deny ourselves so that way we still have energy, even when we're tired, to funnel into playing with our kids at home and saying no to an extra energy drink at the grocery store so we can buy our kids lunch, you know, the, the next day at school. We need to be providing for our kids. So, so that sort of sacrifice is good. But where things go south is when that is the only lens that we look through, that we look at parenting through. When the only way we can approach life is saying no to ourselves and yes to our kids. One, because that can kind of lead to some kid-centric mentalities. But, but for tonight, because one of the things that we, we just do not want to shut down in ourselves as we think about parenting is our hearts. We never want to get so focused on our kids and so blind to our own needs that we stop paying attention to our own hearts as moms and as dads. And so, so here's, um, here's the line that I want to say. Uh, leading our kids spiritually. Oh, let me get to it. Leading our kids spiritually should compel us to pay attention to our own hearts as parents. Too often we stop just with this desire to lead our kids spiritually. So we drop them off at church, but we check out ourselves. Or we, we really do our best to pump wholesome entertainment into their minds, but we never consider what we're filling our minds with as adults. We need both parts of that statement. We need to be leading our kids spiritually. There's focus on that. That's part of our job, right? As shepherds of our families, as moms and as dads. But, but, but a key part of that equation is paying attention to our own hearts as parents. So the, so the place I want to go tonight is Psalm 112. I was reading through this chapter, man, a few weeks ago probably, shortly after the new year, however long ago that was, and got my socks knocked off by Psalm 112. And that, I didn't even know I was going to be teaching at D6 at that point. But the second Jeff said, hey, would you teach at D6 these couple nights? I'm like, one of the nights I'm teaching at D6, I'm talking about Psalm chapter 112. So you can see there on the, on the back side of that handout, you can see that I've got the, the, the text of the psalm printed there. I want you guys to have that in front of you. And here's where I want you guys to have a pen or a pencil or Sharpie or prick your finger right with blood, whatever you want to do. But, but here's where I want you to take some notes with me as we track through this. Because um, 
because there's some good stuff here that, that I've already pointed out a little bit of that, even in how we printed this out, but I want us to do some work together around this, even here tonight in this room and in the overflow room. So, so, so as I was reading through Psalm 112, the thing that caught my attention first was verse 2. And so here in, in, in your handouts on the second page, you can see it's underlined, bolded, and blue because blue is cool. So, so their children, it says, will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. And man, this is what I want for my kids. This is my prayer, that they would be mighty in the land, that they would experience blessing, that they would be mighty in influence, right? That they would experience the blessing that comes from a good and gracious God that I pray that they would follow. So, so, so that caught my attention right, right away. But then as I tracked through the rest of that psalm, all sorts of examples of, of what this blessing looks like started to pop out to me. So that's the stuff that's highlighted in yellow. Just some of the things that I'll list. So, 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 so the what of this blessing, what it looks like, the, the tangible pieces of it, are that wealth and riches are in their houses. That even in darkness, light dawns for them. Bad times are not the end, right? Good will come. They will never be shaken. They'll be remembered forever. So you will remember me for centuries, right? That song that the kids listen to these days. That, that's here. Here's how they'll be remembered forever. They'll have no fear of bad news. In the end, they will look with triumph on their foes. This is blessing. But then I think as we, as we take another go through this psalm, we see that the psalmist isn't just writing about what the blessed life looks like. He also takes a lot of space to point out who receives this blessed life. So, so this isn't only a what the blessed life looks like, it's also who it's for. And so, so here's where, grab your, grab your pens, your pencils, here's where just circle some words here with me, because I want us to see these. So, so starting in verse 3, in practically every verse in this psalm, starting in verse 3, the psalmist says, here's who this blessed life is for. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. So circle righteousness. This sort of blessing, the, the, the type of person that invites this blessing are those who are righteous. Verse 4, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Another word to circle, upright. This is talking about moral integrity of character. Light dawns for those who are, here are two more words, who are gracious and compassionate. And then there's the word righteous again. Here are more characteristics of the sort of person that invites this blessing that the psalm talks about. Here's what our children looking mighty in the land look like. Here's their characteristics, their qualities. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely. So, so this idea of generosity, who conduct their affairs with justice. So this word of, of, of justice, just children. Surely the righteous, there's that word again, will never be shaken, they'll be remembered forever. 
They'll have no fear of bad news. Then here's, here's two more. Their hearts are steadfast. And then another one is they, is they trust in the Lord. So I think up here on the slides, I think we've, we've captured most of those that, that are just sprinkled throughout the psalm. But do you see how that, every verse from verse 3 down through verse 7 includes something about the moral qualities, the characteristics of, of these children who are mighty in the land. But I don't want us to stop there either because, because as much as this is what I want for my children, this isn't what I want us to hear in the psalm tonight. And so, so here's where we go to, to, to the first verse, right? Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. And then we read about their children being mighty in the land, their children experiencing blessing, their children being all of these things, righteous and upright and gracious and compassionate and generous and just and with steadfast hearts, trusting in the Lord. There's this piling up of words. But do you see how that's connected to what the psalm starts with? Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. I don't think we should separate verse 1 from verses 2 through 10. Instead, I wonder if the psalmist wants us to connect these things, saying that, that parents who are characterized by these things cultivate a sort of soil in their families that are ripe for the planting of kids that end up like, like what we saw, like righteous and just and upright in everything that we saw. And what we need to see here, parents, is that the two things the psalmist points out are conditions of the heart. You know? This isn't stuff that we do. It leads to stuff that we do, but it starts with who we are. It starts with the condition of our hearts as parents. So dad and mom is the condition of our hearts such that we fear the Lord. You hear that word, fear, the Lord there? This idea of reverent awe. Not we're shaking in our boots, afraid of God. But instead, we're, we're respectful of who God is and who we are in relation to him. Reverent awe is a good way to put that together. We, we delight. That's a heart word, right? We delight in his commands. Where, where we approach his word eagerly, willing to submit to the direction God's word, the Bible, points us in. So all of this stuff is, is heart language. And so from Psalm 112, the, the thing that we need to see is, is the big idea for tonight. If we're going to lead our kids spiritually, if we're going to cultivate this soil that ends up with kids being righteous and upright and generous and compassionate, we need to be paying attention to our own hearts as parents. Two things the psalmist zeroes in on are, are Tim. Do you fear the Lord and do you delight in his commands? But I think there's a whole lot of things 
that, that are wrapped up into the heart condition that I want to be monitoring in myself as I pay attention to my own heart and try to shepherd my family in the process. So, so, so there's some, some, in my opinion, some really strong biblical support just putting a spotlight on, okay, parents, make sure that you've got your eyes on your heart. As you shepherd your kids, don't forget that part of who you are. It's that big of a deal. But how do we do this? First thing, very simply, very briefly, keep your heart on your radar screen. Not many other ways to say it than that. So let me just put the emphasis on make sure your heart, right, is on your radar screen. Even as you shepherd your kids' hearts, never neglect your own. Another way we want to do this is, is direct your heart. That's what you can write in that, in that blank there. Direct your heart. What I'm trying to get out here is, is that as parents, we want to be making sure that our hearts are pointed in the right direction. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of directions our hearts can be pointed towards. One of the things that we want to be asking ourselves is, okay, Tim, where is your heart pointed? And then based on how you spend your time, the things you value most, what, what does that say about where your heart is pointed? You remember what we looked at last week, Matthew chapter 6? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So based on the things that I treasure, in terms of the value I place upon it and the time I put into it, where's my heart? And then, and then how can I make sure that, that I'm putting my heart towards the direction of wanting to be the godly dad that I want to be? There's, there's two parts to, to doing this. One is, is make sure that we direct our heart under Jesus Christ. This, this might be new to some of you, which makes me really eager to be the one to introduce you to it. But, but the good news of the Bible is that Christ invites us to, to, to place ourselves within and under his good leadership of our lives. Because most of us know that we've got this problem called sin and we can't figure out our lives on our own. And so, so we need somebody bigger than us and better than us to help us out because we can't do it on our own. We've tried and, and most of us, if we're honest, I think, are kind of disillusioned with saying, okay, I put my hope there, left me wanting. There, left me wanting. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the fulfilling, thirst-quenching, you know, thing that can really meet all of our needs. And so, so here's where I just say, whatever your heart is directed towards, the, the, the first step to take is to put it under Jesus Christ. We do that by acknowledging our sinfulness and by just saying, God, you're good. What Jesus did for me on the cross, dying on my behalf, is good. I trust in that. And I will put my life under his good leadership. But we also want to direct our hearts towards godly virtues and godly character. That's the second thing you can put down there. Direct our hearts toward godly virtue. And this is just simply where we start to take the puzzle pieces of God's word about what they say a godly life looks like, and put those pieces together into this picture of the life we should be pursuing. 
Now, if you've ever put together a puzzle, you know the first thing you do is you put the, kind of you spread the pieces out, you put the box in front of you, right? Ultimately, the picture we're pursuing is Jesus Christ. That's who we want to see formed in us. A couple other verses, though, you can write down, just as we start to assemble this picture of the virtues we should be pursuing, write down Psalm 112. Those same virtues that we want to see characterize our kids, parents, those are good virtues to pursue ourselves as well. Another set of verses is the fruit of the Spirit, write down Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. There the Apostle Paul isolates a handful of things and says, you want proof the Spirit is at work in your life and you're growing in the, in the things the Spirit cares about? He said, look at the way you love. Look at your joy, your peace, your patience. That's a convicting thing for me, you know, your, your patience, your uh, love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Look at those things. That's this, that's this picture that we should assemble of the virtues that we want to be pursuing. So, so we want to make sure to be directing our heart. But we also want to be feeding our heart. Anybody seen the movie? This is like 10 years old now, Super Size Me. You guys familiar with it? It, it? it sent up a big enough splash a decade ago. Everybody heard about it. So this is the guy that ate McDonald's every day, like every meal for every day for 30 days. Am I the only one that like watched this movie? Somebody else help me out. Okay, so there's, there's like six of us that have seen it. Okay, so great. So let me explain it in that case. So, so here's this documentary dude. Um, I think he was 32 years old when he started filming this, was a relatively fit, kind of in good health sort of guy, but he said, I'm just going to see what eating McDonald's every day for 30 days, every meal, does to me. So that's what he did. 30 days, he worked his way through the entire menu of McDonald's, and then every time they asked him, do you want to supersize this, his commitment was to say, yes, you know? And so, so this is kind of the premise of the movie. Uh, by the end of the month, according to Wikipedia, so this is official, folks, the, the filmmaker, this guy, he gains almost 25 pounds, his body mass increases by 13%. His cholesterol increases to 230 milligrams. Any doctors in here? Is that a lot for cholesterol? I'm guessing it probably is since they mention it. Um, and then there were a ton of other side effects as well. Uh, mood swings, sexual dysfunction, nobody wants that, and all sorts of, sorts of bad stuff. So, uh, so, so, so the idea here is, is that what he was feeding himself impacted him physically. We all know that. That's just basic you are what you eat sort of stuff. But what we need to appreciate is the stuff we know. This is also true for our hearts as well. And so to take this kind of negative example of supersize me guy and make it positive, the thing that we feed our hearts with will shape who we become. And so, so here's where just this, this category that churches talk about and Christians talk about, this category of the spiritual disciplines is so worthwhile. And so, so this is where we just talk about the things that Christians have been doing for centuries and millennia and saying these are the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the exercises, the practices that I can do, not as ends in themselves, but things that lead to my heart being shaped in the direction of godly virtue. So, so this is where they talk about things like prayer and Bible study and community 
and solitude and fasting, those sorts of things that, that, that moms and dads, if that, that isn't part of our framework, that, that, then here's where we can do some learning together and say, what might it look like to make sure that as we seek to pursue these godly virtues, we have the habits in place that are tested and tried and true by 2,000 years of church history to say, yeah, Bible reading and prayer and community and periods of rest and solitude and silence, those really are that effective at cultivating the fruit of the Spirit and godly qualities in my life. So uh, on the very last page of your handouts, there is a couple books that I mentioned that if, if this is brand new to you guys... These are uh, some good books to get on Audible or however kids read these days, you know, with uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. When I recommend a book on the spiritual disciplines, this is the first one I go to. Easy read, super practical, crazy practical in terms of, okay, you want to know about Bible intake? Here's 18 steps that you can do to move in that direction. So this is, this is the starter book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Donald Whitney, stud. So it's, it's that good. If you're academic-ish, you know, academic-ish, you know, uh, in one little book that's a little more challenging, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Not going to be the easiest read in the world, but it is gold. And when you dig for something, you usually benefit more from the gold that's underneath the surface. This is that book. Um, so, so two really great books that help feed our hearts with the right things and introduce us to the right practices that will point us in that direction. So feeding our hearts is huge. Another thing we want to be doing is we want to identify things that, that can numb our heart. Because the very scary reality is that even after we trust in Jesus Christ, we can still develop this kind of calloused skin around our hearts where it's just dead to the activity of God, to the things of the Spirit that are trying to kind of impress upon us. But we're so desensitized to it, you know, that we feel nothing. So, like, I'm pastor man now, so, like, I, like, I get, uh, like, my, my injuries are like I get a paper cut from a manila folder that I'm getting out of our copy room sometimes. Or like I was trying to take a stapler apart and put it back together a few weeks ago and I started bleeding because like I pushed it together too hard, my finger got kind of, so I've got like pastor hands now. Once upon a time, I worked for my dad doing construction. We built houses, he frames up houses. So, uh, so like I had like good man hand, like calloused hands at that time, you know, like where like drop a nail on my hand, like puncture it, nothing would happen. So, so I, I would have like calluses on my hands. Uh, but the thing with those calloused hands, no matter how hard you pressed, it wouldn't bleed, nothing would get through. Our hearts can become like that if we're not careful. So, so here's the things we want to be watching out for, or at least here's two. There's probably a lot more than this, but, but one of these is, is what I call manufactured spirituality. If you want a definition for this, this is, where, this is where my driving concern is to be perceived as spiritual, comma, even when I'm not. 
And so I, I manufacture the spirituality. I manage my image. So that way, when everybody sees me, they think, man, Timmy's doing good. You know, boy, he's spiritual. Some of that sort of stuff. When in reality, my heart is dead to the things of God. This is dangerous because, because, because when we put up a face to trick others, oftentimes we end up deceiving ourselves. And once we've started deceiving ourselves, that's, that, that's a hard place to get, come back from. That takes confrontation and, and, and intervention. And so, so, so the way forward through this is honesty and humility, right? Where we need to surround ourselves with that small group of people so this isn't with everybody, but we surround ourselves with that small group of people. We say, okay, guys, this, this is shameful for me to say. This is embarrassing for you to say. This might surprise you, but eh. And then, and then we finally drop the mask, and we, we show people who we really are because we say, I am more scared of the deadness of heart that can come through manufactured spirituality than I am with your perception of me, right? And so, so, so because I, I want a heart that's soft towards God, I'm willing to risk my reputation because a soft heart towards God is worth so much more than what you think of me. So, so, so that's how you proceed through that. Another danger is frenetic activity. So there's vocab word of the day, crazy busy activity. Activity for activity's sake. This one is self-explanatory. We're, we're all parents here of kids, so we all get this. We all feel this. I'm teaching here tonight, and I'm lucky to have made it. You, you know, I mean, we were like, Karsten, get upstairs, change your clothes, get your shoes on. I mean, just barking out commands back and forth because stuff is crazy. Carrie is working until 4 or 4.30, kids get home, throw some pizza in the oven, try to do like one cycle of homework with some laundry in there as well. It's like, okay, now start getting ready for D6. Turn the corner that way. Wait, somebody's in the bathroom. Get them out of the bath. I mean, that sort of stuff. It's crazy. It's frenetic activity that we can all absolutely relate to. And what's dangerous here is, is that eventually who you are spills out into what you do. And if we're only focusing on, on being like human, doing, human doings, right, instead of human beings, eventually our hearts will get smaller and smaller and smaller, and who we are is going to spill out into an explosion of anger, some sort of outburst that leaves collateral damage in its wake. And so the solution here is, is easy for me to say, but I'm no expert at this. I'm still learning this. The solution is margin. The solution is, is creating space in our schedules where we can breathe and reflect and do the, do the heart work in ourselves that God wants us to be doing. This solution isn't a Netflix binge of like eight seasons of what show do people watch these days of like Saturday Night Live or whatever? I mean, it's not eight seasons of something and then a 13-hour nap overnight. You, you know, I mean, that's not what this is getting at. That, that's not the solution to frenetic activity. It's not, it's not crashing. 
The solution is putting into our lives rhythms of rest. Where we're not watching TV and scrolling through the Netflix queue for 25 minutes saying, nope, 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 that sort of thing. Karen and I are like, well, let's start 25 minutes early so that way we can finally get to what we're getting at, you know, because that's how it goes. That's not what I have in mind here. This is a rhythm of rest where we're very intentional about focusing on our hearts. Okay, I need to start flying, so we're going to pick up the pace and sprint through the last of these. So, so the last thing we want to do is, is just acknowledge that we, we don't do this alone. Don't go it alone. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, is there in your handouts, the writer of Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. So the writer acknowledges we can have that sort of heart that turns away from God. But what's the solution? But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The solution to a hard heart is encouraging one another. And not just the fluffy, write out a Hallmark card encouragement, but to speak courage into people, to, 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 to address what needs to be addressed, to come alongside what needs to be come along, came alongside of, it's that sort of thing, but, but it's a group activity. And so here's where, here's where community groups are huge. Covenant with a community group that we're not just going to be the sort of group that prays for our grandma's dog's surgery and goes and sees a movie every five weeks. That's not what we hold up as community groups anyway, but that's not the picture of community we want to hold up as ideal at Brookside. Instead, it's where I'm revealing who I am I'm hearing who you are, and together we're pursuing Jesus Christ. So uh, community groups, huge. Partner with your spouse. As we seek to partner with our spouse in our, in our heart work, the, the picture here isn't nagging and accusations and ridicule. Instead, it's built on this foundation of, of trust and teamwork, of saying, we are for each other. And so as part of that, we want to help each other towards heaven sort of thing. We're not just husband and wife. We're brother in Christ and sister in Christ. How can we, how can we help each other in the process of discipleship? And so as a good husband, that means ideally Carrie never has to hold an intervention confronting something in my life. What it means is and again, here's where Carrie can say he doesn't do this very often, but where I approach Carrie and say, what have you seen in my life that needs attention, in my heart that needs attention? Uh, where I take the initiative to invite her partnering with me in that. So she doesn't have to come out with me with like a fork in my thigh sort of thing. But it's just, it's just, okay, what do I need to do to be the husband God wants me to be? And then last thing is a scary passage in Acts chapter 5 about a husband and wife who don't do this. Uh, but the very last thing after all these slides is, is recruit your kids in your heart work. Recruit your kids. Be wise about this because be age appropriate. There's some things you want to share with your kids, some things you just need to be tactful about. But here's where you invite your kids just into the fact that, that hey, Karsten, hey, Jaden, hey, Sawyer, hey, Keller, uh, I'm working on my heart too. 
dad isn't done yet. I want Jesus to be continuing to work in my heart. Will you help point out things that you see in my heart and my actions that don't line up with, with how Jesus wants me to act? That's a bold ask to make of your kids. But over the course of time, they'll, they'll be partners with you then in, in having this family that, that has hearts that move in the direction of Jesus Christ. And that's our goal, right? To lead our, to lead our kids spiritually, but not to sacrifice our own hearts at the door. And so what that means then is that as we lead our kids spiritually, we need to be paying attention to our own hearts as well. Let me pray for us, then I'll let you guys go get your kids. Heavenly Father, God, we do acknowledge the the fact that even as parents, we have so much work that we need you to do in our hearts. Uh, Jesus, may we never be leading our family spiritually out of this empty cup, uh, out of this dry tank that isn't filled with um, with godly virtue and character itself. So, so Jesus, breathe fresh energy and life into our, our hearts so that as we lead our kids, we do it out of a fullness that comes from the work you're doing in us as well. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you again next week.